For you that are new, we have been working our way since the first of the year through the life of Christ. We are preaching a chronological series through Jesus' life. We have been in the Sermon on the Mount for the last several weeks. Uh, And though this particular sermon that Jesus preached took place some 2,000 years ago, it's still very applicable for your life and my life today. The text that we're looking at today from Matthew 6 is on the subject of money and worry. Now, I don't think anyone here could stand up and say, uh, those things don't have anything to do with me. (laughs) In fact, the opposite is true. Every one of us could stand up and say, those subjects do apply to me every single day. I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about money, mainly because I hit on that topic just two weeks ago when early in the chapter 6, Jesus was talking about when you give, this is how you are to give or how you are not to give. And so we talked about money at that point, but I will make mention to you that Jesus did not back away from preaching about money. He, in fact, preached on money more than any other topic that he preached on, simply because he knew of the struggle that mankind has in surrendering his money and his possessions to God. Think about it. He preached on money more than he preached on heaven and hell. He preached on money more than he preached on love. And so if a person gets uptight when the preacher starts talking about money, it's probably a good indicator that you need to hear what's being said. Now, what I want to do in this subject with money, I simply want to read to you what Jesus had to say about it in this portion of his Sermon on the Mount. I'll make a few comments, and then I'll go on to the next text of where I want to spend the most time at today, and that is on the subject of worry. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also look look at verse 24 also of this same chapter no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and wealth now some of your bibles may have the word mammon you cannot serve God and mammon. I have a footnote in my study Bible. That particular Bible had the word mammon. It simply means riches. And so what Jesus is saying here, you cannot serve both God and riches. This particular version said you cannot serve both God and wealth. If you're reading from the NIV, it says you cannot serve both God and money. Now, if we're not careful... Money can become a God to us. It calls for our attention. It can distract us from things that are the most important in life. It can, if we're not careful, steal away our allegiance from God. And we need to understand that money itself is not evil. Money is a neutral object. 
And yet it is something that we need to be able to survive in this world. Everywhere that I've gone in this world, whether it be Chile, South America, or India, or right here in our own country, I have found this to be true, that people need money just to be able to live. They need money to be able to buy food and to provide for their needs. And the thing that we need to be careful about is that we don't fall in love with money. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If we love money too much, it can get between us and God and it can be the downfall of our faith. And so my caution to you today would be this. Don't love money. And, and know that, that there needs to be a differentiation between your needs and your wants. Don't get those two things confused. Sometimes what we think we need is really nothing more than just a want. I need a new car. I need a new gun. I need a new iPhone. Well, is that a need or is that a want? That's not to say a new car is wrong. That's not to say a new iPhone is wrong, but we need to know the difference between our wants and our needs. And Jesus in this text is reminding us that we need to be sure that we are laying up our treasures in heaven, not just here on this earth. If all of our earthly treasures or if all of our treasures are are right here on this earth, then we are dishonoring God with our money. Our wasting our money and we are dishonoring God with our money if, if everything that we are investing in is of earthly value only. Our earthly treasures are going to fade away. They'll wear out. They'll rust out, they'll break down, they'll get stained, they'll get dented. We have found that out this just this last month in this storm that we have had. Our treasures here can be destroyed. They'll burn up, they'll get blown away, they can be stolen. Our earthly treasures are very temporary and they lose their value very quickly. It's best if we make sure that we have our treasures in heaven. Invest in the Lord's kingdom. Give to the Lord's church. Give to a missionary. Support a child. Give to the poor. Invest your money into the kingdom where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, that's really something that we cannot run and hide from. It's a test that will not lie about us. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. If we are investing in the kingdom, then we can be confident that our heart is in the kingdom. If the majority of our treasures are here on this earth, then we can be confident that's where our heart is. And there will be a day of accountability. Now, that's what he had to say about money. Let's move on to this next subject, the subject of worry. And in this text, Jesus simply says it this way, don't worry. 
Two weeks ago, I took a, took a day and I drove to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I spent the day with Craig Woolsey. Some of you who have been around here for, for quite a few years will recognize that name. Craig is a fellow who our church supported as a missionary in Chile, South America, for a number of years. And when he, he reached uh, retirement age and passed in fact, past retirement age, he and Shirley made a move to Tulsa, and, and that's where they have landed with their kids and their family. They're close, and he is teaching Spanish at Tulsa Community College. And he is one of those guys that through the years I have had such great respect for and admiration for him, and it just did me good to go down there and spend a day with him. And besides that, he treated me to lunch. <laughs> And uh, we, we ate at this Asian diner uh, at 59th and Yale Boulevard. And when we came out of that restaurant, my eye turned and I caught sight of this massive pink building just two blocks away. Now, if you're familiar with Tulsa, you may know what pink building I'm talking about. I think maybe it's the the only pink building that I have ever seen. I'm speaking of St. Francis Hospital. And my mind went back 27 years ago almost when Cindy and I had our four-month-old baby boy there for testing. We were at Dr. Cooper's office, which was just adjacent to the hospital, And then later we were sent to the hospital itself for more testing. And I'll never, never forget waiting in that little room for the doctor to come in and tell us the the test results. And and in our hearts and minds, we were sure everything was going to be fine with with Jonathan and we were going to take him home and and things were just going to go well. But our lives were about to change in the blink of an eye. The doctor came in and he sat down in front of us and and he had our undivided attention and his words are forever etched in my mind. He said, your son is sitting on the fence and we're not quite sure which way he's going to go. And we were shocked and numb and not quite sure what he was saying and we asked him to explain what he meant by that and, and I remember him saying such words as congestive heart failure. And I remember the words heart surgery. And everything just from there was just kind of a blur. But I do remember saying to him, I think we need to get a second opinion. And that sounded like the right thing for me to say. And he then responded, you don't have time for a second opinion. And and from that point on, then, I remember them taking Jonathan and admitting him into the pediatric ICU. And and Cindy and I just stood back, numb, and we watched as as they began working with him. And and before long, all kinds of monitors and and IVs and tubes and wires were coming from every which part of his body. And I went home that night to get clothes... Cindy stayed behind in the hospital. I went home to get clothes and to get money, not knowing how long we would be there. I'll never forget that first night of restlessness and worry. And probably each of you have had those kinds of nights in your life too. Nights of worry. 
Nights of turning and tossing on your bed where you feel frantic and anxious and your mind is racing and your heart is pounding and your stomach is tied up in knots and it seems like sleep is a million miles away. And maybe for you, it's been something different that you've been worrying about. Maybe it's the worry over a job loss or the worry of of a job that you have and how long is that going to last? Or maybe for you, your worry has been your finances and how are you going to pay the next month's mortgage? Or or maybe one of your kids has seemed to be going the way of the world and, and you are tossing and turning on your bed at night and you are just beyond concern for them. Or maybe you've worried over your marriage or a broken friendship. Maybe your worry has been over your aging parents and you don't know what the future holds for them. I remember just uh, a few years ago, my mom was in such terrible health and many of you were prayer support for our family and for her particularly. At that time, her health physically had just gone sour, but not only at this one point had her physical health gone sour, her mental health had gone to pot too. And I remember, like it was yesterday, my sister and I met in Joplin at the hospital where she was at. They'd actually put her in a psych ward. And we we went in and she could hardly converse with us. And she was walking around like a zombie. It, It was not the mom that we knew. She was gone. And I, and I remember as we left the hospital and we got back into the car, we were, we were numb. And my sister was crying and she said, I, I, I feel like we just lost our mom. And it was awful. And it was so easy at that point to be overcome with worry. And, and it was sometime shortly after that that we decided to take her to, to Mayo Clinic. And we did. And, and they immediately began to see she was way over-medicated. That was her problem. But man, the worry, the worry, the temptation to worry. We have graduates here today, and, and they may have some temptations coming their way, of temptations to worry of, oh, where do I go to school, and how am I going to pay the tuition, and what should I do with my life, and when I finish college, will there be a job there for me? There are all kinds of things that we can worry about. And I remember finally in the middle of that long night, almost 27 years ago, a passage of Scripture came to my mind. In fact, a passage that that I must have memorized sometime way back in vacation Bible school as a kid or or at church camp. It it was like God just brought it to my mind. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And it was like God was saying to me that night, do you remember this promise, Kevin? I have this promise for you. And I lay awake in my bed thinking about that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. Yeah, that's, that's what he wants me to do. He wants me to trust him with my son. He wants me to give my anxiousness to him. 
And I'm, I'm not to try and figure all of this out. I'm, I'm just to trust Him and acknowledge Him in all of my ways and, and His promises that He will make my paths straight. He'll work it out according to His will. And as I quoted that verse over and over in my mind as I lay on that bed that evening and I meditated on the truth in those night hours, a peace began to come over me, a peace that passes all understanding. And the knot that was in my stomach let up and the pounding of my heart began to slow down and finally rest came to my body and I was able to fall asleep. It was definitely a night that I will never forget in my whole life in more ways than one. The Lord does not want us to worry. Instead, he wants us to trust him to know that his hands are bigger than any problem that we have. Let me read to you what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about worry. Beginning with verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is he not clear in that passage of Scripture? He says, do not be anxious for your life. Now, we tend to want to put a footnote on that verse that has an exception clause to it. We would have it read this way. Do not be anxious for your life except under the most dire circumstances. Then it's okay to worry. (laughs) The problem is that isn't what Jesus said. Jesus didn't include such an exception clause. He just simply said it this way, do not be anxious for your life. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He echoed the words of Jesus. He said, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about anything everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
And that's the peace that I was telling you about that I experienced that night 27-some years ago on my bed. It's a peace that is beyond our comprehension. And so for a few moments this morning, let me just talk to you about how not to worry. And I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying it's possible and it is so wonderful. If you can be at this point in your life where you can just not worry that you are able to give it all to him. It's so wonderful and so refreshing. First of all, you want to not worry. Keep your eyes on Jesus more than on the trial itself. Do you remember Peter as he stepped out of the boat? (laughs) As long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he walked on the water. But what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus? Boy, he sunk like a rock, didn't he? Took his eyes off of Jesus. He he put his eyes on the waves. He he felt the wind in his face. and, and, And he was distracted by the storm. And he sank just that fast. And that will be true for each and every one of us when we focus more on the trials that we are facing than what we do on Jesus himself and his care for us, then we are inclined to give in to worry. And that worry can be overwhelming. The finances can be overwhelming. The sickness can be overwhelming. The broken relationship can be overwhelming. So we must keep our eyes on Jesus amidst the storm. Let me get to you a second point. If you want to not worry, pray. That's what Paul said to the Philippian church. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Just Plan it into your mind. Prayer is the antidote for worry. If only we would take that energy that is sapped from our body from worry, if we could take that energy and put it into prayer. Prayer changes things. And prayer changes you and me. There is no problem so big that God can't handle it. He is Able. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Would you say that with me? He is able. We have got to believe that. It's not just words on a screen. It's not just words on a page. It's the truth. He is able. And even if things don't go the way that we want them to go, still, he is able to hold us in his hands. He is able to sustain us through the hardship. I want to challenge you to be a person of prayer more than what you are a person of worry. And cry out to God about that. God, I want to be a person of prayer. I don't want to worry. Would you please help me? To be more inclined to pray than what I am inclined to worry. And when you become a person of prayer more than what you are a person of worry, that's when you will absolutely love the peace and experience the peace that comes to you that is beyond comprehension. 
Number three, increase your faith by getting into the Word of God. Now, you hear these points step by step, and it's like basic training. And that's really what it is. It's basic training. This is the basic Christianity, and yet it's so elusive from some of us. We, we don't do these things. We need to do these things. This is the truth. This is the solution to a worry-free life. Do you know what Romans ten seventeen says? It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The more you are into God's book, the stronger your faith will be. And if you have strong faith, you're going to worry less. You'll be able to entrust your problems to God more. And so as you are in this book, read about David and how God delivered him from the hand of Goliath. And think this, if God can do that for David as he faced his giant, then surely he can do the same thing for you and me as we face our giants. And read about the story of Abraham, of how God provided for Abraham the lamb on that mountain. And know this, that if God provided for Abraham, God will provide for you and me as well. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us. And read about Daniel and how God provided for Daniel and protected him amidst the lion's den. And know this, that if God did that for Daniel, if he provided that kind of protection for Daniel, then surely he can do great things for you and me too. And right on down the line, just continue reading through Scripture. Read the story of Noah. Read the story of of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Read the story of Shadrach and Meshach and, and Abednego. Read how he took care of Elijah in the wilderness. He fed Elijah by the ravens. And surely, if he did that for Elijah, he'll provide for you and me too. And Jesus said he would provide for us. If God cares for the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not do the same for you and for me, that he will give care to us and he will provide for us? And if he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, will he not do much more for you and me? The answer is unequivocally Yes, he will take care of his children. And if he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, then surely he knows when you and I are hurting and he knows what our needs are and he will be there to help us and to give comfort to us. Get into the word. Find those promises And memorize those promises. And when you are in the midst of troublesome times, you can call upon those promises and God will bring comfort and he will bring his peace to you. This is how you overcome worry. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that leads me to my next point. Number four. Confess your sin of worry to God and ask Him to forgive you. You you do know that worry is a sin, 
Don't excuse yourself by saying, you know, it's, everybody does this. It's just human nature. Don't excuse yourself. It's a sin. And we need to confess our sins to God. David is very clear in the book of Psalms that if we hide our sins, if we conceal them, they'll get the best of us. They'll eat us up. And so confess your sin of worry to God. I remember years ago talking with a lady about her problems as she was overcome with worry and in her mind she was justified to be worried. Her husband was about to lose his job and he was being railroaded out by another person unjustly. And her response was complete and overwhelming worry. It was affecting her health. It was was causing her to be bitter along with her worry. Her blood pressure was completely out of control. It was affecting her relationship with her husband and she could hardly function in the home. And I listened to her and she explained to me what was going on and it sounded like she had a reason to be upset. But I said to her, Naomi, your worry is a sin. And you need to confess it to God and ask him to forgive you and help you in this situation. And she was shocked. I mean, she thought all the problem lied with this other person. And here I am telling her that she was needing to confess her sins to God, her sin of worry, her sin of bitterness. And I showed her from Scripture that worry is a sin. And I showed her the Scripture from Psalms 32 of what unconfessed sin does to us. You know what? She accepted it as the truth. She humbled herself. She, She received my counsel, she received the word of God into her heart and into her mind. And she went home and she got on her knees and she confessed her sins to God. And the next time I saw her, she looked like just even her facial expression and, and how she was carrying herself. She was a completely different person and she talked differently. She said, the load has been lifted. She had given her burden to the burden bearer, the father of mercy. You know what? In time, God worked all of that out for her and her husband. And that's his promise to each and every one of us. Don't neglect to hide the truth of Matthew 6, 33 in your heart. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He will meet our needs if we seek him first. So give your sin of worry to God. I mean, your, your worry doesn't help your situation anyway. It only complicates your problem more, and it complicates your life more. You know what really ought to happen as we sing an invitation song this morning? We ought to have people coming to the front and getting on their knees here all over this front. 
we ought to have people. If you're, if, you're, if you're one who's bothered by worry, we ought to have people coming to the front and getting on their knees and just giving their sin of worry to God and giving their problems, whatever they are, to God and saying, I want to trust you. I want to give them to you. I want to leave them there. You don't have to come to the front to do that. You can do that right where you're at, but I hope that happens today. I hope the Spirit speaks to you today that if you are a worrisome person, that you understand Jesus is saying, do not worry. Give it to me. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to give our problems to you. To trust you more than what we're worrying over those problems. Help us to take the steps that we need to take to overcome worry. And thank you that you are our burden bearer. In Jesus' name.